Hello there. You are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. Well, we want to take a moment this morning to be able to welcome you, especially if this is your first time here at MCC, or perhaps it's your first time in a really long time. Uh, we're thrilled that you're here this morning, and uh, thrilled that you could be here on such a special day uh, for, for Zach and Jane as well, for family and friends who've come along to be able to celebrate with them as they get baptized. And so this morning, I want to share a little bit about what it is that we're doing when it comes to baptism. And so our message this morning is based on that. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? We're going to pray. Lord, we just thank you this morning, God, for your word. God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be able to come and to worship you. God, today, for the privilege that it is to be able to baptize these two young men. And Lord, I just pray today, God, that for each one of us, that Lord, you'd speak to our hearts, that God, we might leave this place different people because we spent time in your presence and in your word. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. You know, John chapter 3 and verse 16 is perhaps the most well-known Bible verse in all of the Bible. John 3 verse 16 is that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. That's perhaps one of the most well-known scriptures in all of the Bible, that for God so loved the world. But you know, believing in Jesus and making a public declaration of your faith, it's not about believing that God's died for the sins of the whole world. It's actually far more personal than that. It's true that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. That, that's true. But, but more importantly or more pertinently, that, that Jesus died for my own sins. That, that's personal appropriation. It's the difference between believing academically in God and then trusting personally in God. So it's one thing to believe that God died for the sins of the whole world. It's another thing entirely to believe not just that Jesus died for, the, for everyone's sins, that he died for mine. Today, as we're baptizing Jade and, and Zach, that's really the declaration that they're making, not simply that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, though that's true, but, but actually more personally than that, that, that Jesus died for my sins as well. Now, on the 30th of June, 1859, there's a guy called Charles Blondin who on the 30th of June, 1859, set up a tightrope above Niagara Falls and, and crossed that tightrope. Uh, Charles Blondin, who has since passed, was perhaps in his time one of the greatest ever tightrope walkers. And, and so over his career of tightrope walking, he had a real fascination with crossing a tightrope above Niagara Falls because it was such a feat for people to behold. Because if you can imagine, Niagara Falls is a fairly mean waterfall that, that if you were to make a false step on that tightrope, it would be the end. And so several times, Charles Blondin did the tightrope walk above Niagara Falls. But once he'd sort of done it once it, it, to, to get crowds to come and see, he decided he'd sort of up the ante. And so he did it several times in different ways. At one time, Charles Blondin walked across a tightrope above Niagara Falls with his hands and feet chained together. Um, it'd be one thing just to cross a tightrope above Niagara Falls, but to do it with your hands and feet chained together. At uh, one time, Charles Blondin, again, set up a tightrope above Niagara Falls, and he walked across with a small um, stove, a fry pan, and an egg. He paused halfway along, cooked an omelette, ate it, and went the rest of the way across. Now, the guy was a freak of nature. He was an incredible tightrope walker. Uh, he did it several times. He, he became so famous that in the end, he was sort of ahead of his time. He had a manager. He did it once with his manager on his back. He crossed a tightrope above Niagara Falls with his manager on his back. Towards the end of his career, he sent out a news release to say that he was going to cross Niagara Falls for a final time, but before he sort of hung up his, uh, his hat. 
and retired. And so people came from everywhere to see Charles Blondin cross a tightrope above Niagara Falls, kind of wondering, like, how will he do it this time? I mean, he's done it with his hands and feet chained together. He's cooked an omelette, for goodness sake. Like, like, what's he going to do? And so this time, Charles Blondin comes, and people have paid money to be able to come, and news journalists have come from around the country to watch this all happen. And, and as Blondin appears before the crowd, he comes pushing a wheelbarrow. And as he pushes the wheelbarrow out, you know, journalists start writing, Blondin appears with a wheelbarrow. Blondin addresses the crowd that's in front of him, and he says, who believes today that I could cross this tightrope above Niagara Falls? And of course, people are like, you're Charles Blondin. Like, if anybody could cross a tightrope above Niagara Falls, like, it's you. Like, you can do it. We believe that you can do it. And he says, all right, well, who believes then I could cross this tightrope above Niagara Falls uh, with a wheelbarrow? And again, obviously, the crowd retorts. Like, of course we believe you can do it. Like, if anybody can cross a tightrope above Niagara Falls with a wheelbarrow, you can do it. So so Blondin a third time says, well, who believes then that I could cross this tightrope above Niagara Falls with a wheelbarrow with somebody in it? And again, for a third time, the crowd replies and says, well, we believe you can do it. I mean, you're the great Charles Blondin. You've cooked an omelette. You've you've done it with your hands and feet chained together. You've even done it with somebody on your back. Like if anybody can cross a tightrope above Niagara Falls with a wheelbarrow with somebody in it, we believe that you can do it. Some accounts of that story say that Blondin turns to a journalist in the front row and says, all right, buddy, you hop in. Some of the accounts of the story actually say that the journalist drops his things and runs to the back of the group. Why? Because he believed that Blondin could do it, but he didn't trust Blondin to do it. There's a huge difference between academically believing that God exists and then personally entrusting your life into God's hands. That's the difference between believing in God academically and then trusting God personally. And that's what I mean when I say, you know, it's one thing to believe that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. It's another thing entirely to believe that Jesus died for my sins. To believe that Jesus died for my sins is to jump in the wheelbarrow, so to speak, and to personally trust for my forgiveness and the receiving of God's grace and the redemption of my own life. To believe upon Jesus personally is to jump into the wheelbarrow. That's why we say at the end of our services when we give people the chance to respond to God in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is more than just believing in a God out there somewhere. It's more than just praying or reading the Bible. It's about personally receiving Jesus as your own Lord and Savior. And so the scripture says, if you'll declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your own heart that God raised him from the dead, that in that moment, you shall be saved. That in that moment, the Bible says, it's as simple as praying a prayer that puts your faith and trust in Jesus for you to be able to receive salvation. And at that moment, your life goes under new management. You know, like when a restaurant goes under new management, that one of the first things they'll do is they'll put a big sign up outside that says under new management, right? Big, bold letters so that everybody can see. And then they set about beginning to rearrange the inside. They do this for lots of businesses, but if you imagine for a restaurant, that the owners of the new restaurant might go in and even though it's in the same building that it was in, they'll go through and they'll change everything about it. They might change the kitchen. They might change the decor. It might have been a Mexican restaurant. They could turn it into an Italian restaurant. They'll change the menu. They'll change the suppliers. They'll change the decor, the cutlery. Everything is being rearranged on the inside. But all the while, on the outside, there's a big sign that says, under new management. And at some point, what is going on inside that restaurant will become evidence to all because it'll make its way out. 
But all the while, that, that restaurant is under new management. That the truth is when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus and says, do you know what? Jesus, I'm accepting you as my Lord and Savior. I'm saying yes to your grace and forgiveness. You don't see it physically, but there is a sign that goes up over their soul. that says, under new management. They might still be in the same body. They might still look exactly the same way. They still go back to the same school. They're still part of the same family. They've still got the same haircut. But, but something forever is, is being changed on the inside because God is taking up occupancy in a person's life and beginning to rearrange some things inside the kitchen. And so it's as simple as that, the Bible says. To believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ is to get into the wheelbarrow. It is to take your life and say, Lord, I've lived a DIY style of life, but, but I'm going to place it under new management. You are now the Lord and the Savior of my life. God, God rearrange my heart, rearrange my attitudes, re rearrange everything about me. Lord, when, when people see me, I don't want them to see the old me. I want them to see the new me. And so baptism is a part of that journey, a significant part of that journey. It doesn't make a person a Christian. Becoming a Christian is actually about putting your faith and trust in Jesus. But, but then having put your faith and trust in Jesus, there becomes the significant next step of baptism. Why is water baptism significant? Well, firstly, it's significant because Jesus was baptized. Remember, Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And so it's significant for that reason because Jesus himself was baptized. But also it's, it's significant because Jesus encouraged us to be baptized. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, these scriptures will be on the screen. In Matthew 28 verse 19, Jesus commanded his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so Jesus encouraged his disciples to be baptized. He encouraged us to be baptized. Go on all the earth, make disciples, baptize them. And so baptism is significant both because Jesus was baptized and because he encouraged us to be baptized, but also because it was the experience for the early church. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 37 to 38, this is what the scripture says. This is on the day of Pentecost. It says, when the people had heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter after he'd gotten up and preached, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That when they'd heard the message of the gospel, that they were so overwhelmed, they're like, What should we do in response to, to what God has done and, and God's forgiveness being about? And so the apostles say, Well, actually, you only need to do two things. Just repent and put your faith and trust in Jesus and then be baptized. And so in verse 41 of Acts chapter 2, it says, And then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to the church. Notice that they repented, believed, and were baptized immediately. It wasn't like, you know, once they'd read the whole entire Bible, then they could be baptized. Once they completed all the classes that were set out for them in the Next Steps class, then they could be baptized. No, no, no. no. They, they repented. They put their faith and trust in Jesus. And then they were immediately baptized. And as a result, the scripture says they were added to the church. And so baptism is significant because Jesus was baptized and because he encouraged us to be baptized and because it was the experience of the early church. Even as the church is established, it's established with repentance and belief in Jesus and then baptism. But baptism is also significant because of what it signifies. 
And so baptism signifies our identification with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. In Romans chapter 6, in verse 3 and 4, this is what the Bible says. It says, Do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were, we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And so baptism is significant because of what it signifies, that in baptism, we're identifying with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's the reason why today, as we take these two gentlemen, and, and as they get baptized, they're going to get dunked and under the water. And they're going to go all the way under the water, identifying with the death and burial of Jesus. But of course, Jesus didn't stay in the grave, and neither will we hold them under the water for a long time, right? But because Jesus also rose from the grave, and so three days later, we're going to let the boys... No, not three days later. But they identify with the death and the burial of Jesus going under the water. But then just as Jesus rose from the grave, they come back up out of the water as well. And so we go under the water, it symbolizes the death and burial of an old life. That before I was a Christian, I lived my own way. But now that I've become a Christian, I want to live a life that brings glory to God. My old way of living is forever dispensed with. And it's declared that it's finished in the strongest possible terms. That my old life is dead and buried. Note this, that my old life is dead and buried because, not because of my willpower, but because Jesus died on the cross to destroy the power of sin that used to dominate the way I used to live my life. And so when we baptize people, but we do so under the water, and thankfully they get to come back up out of the water because that signifies the second part of that scripture. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And so Christ was buried and put in the tomb for three days, but but then resurrected from the dead. And and when we baptize, we signify my old life is dead and the power of sin is broken and I come out of the water signifying, showing, declaring that the new life I live, I live by faith in the power of God. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 describes that miracle that takes place in a person's life when they put their faith and trust in Jesus This is what the scripture says, Galatians 2 verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so baptism is a really significant step in a person's journey of faith. It doesn't make them a Christian. Becoming a Christian is about receiving Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. Becoming a Christian is about jumping in the wheelbarrow, so to speak, and saying, God, I'm entrusting you with my life. But then having made that decision, baptism is a significant next step. And it's significant particularly because of what it signifies, identifying with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That as you and I are baptized, that there is a galvanizing process that happens in that. Some of you will remember this, right? Because you'll remember when you were baptized. Even as I shared with the boys this morning, that there was a moment for you when you made that decision. You put your faith and trust in Jesus. And you'd gone through the waters of baptism. And there's something galvanizing about that process, about declaring in front of friends and family and others, that this is not a passing fad of my life. 
that this is not me trying on a new trend, that this is the declaration of my life, that I'm going to follow Jesus for all of my days. But there's something very special about that. Kind of like when you go to somebody else's wedding, right? You know, when you go to somebody else's wedding, it's impossible to go to someone else's wedding and not be reminded of your own, right? You know, like when you go and, and you sort of like, for the ceremony, you kind of remember what it was like when, when you were at that ceremony. I know for some of you are like, man, that was such a long time ago, that memory is starting to slip. But, but you know, you kind of remember going and you're like, I remember what it was like being there at that time. And you sort of go along to weddings. I've just reached that stage where you go along to weddings and you're like, man, they're so young. And then I kind of remember that's probably what a whole lot of people were thinking when Elise and I got married. Man, they're so young. And in the same way that when you go to someone's wedding, you kind of remember parts of that, what it was like for you at that time and what that ceremony was like and what that meant and what was going on in your own life. It's kind of a bit the same when people get baptized because today we're baptizing these two young men. But, but there's also something special that happens for us to be reminded of what was happening in our lives at that moment when we said yes and when we were baptized and, and to think back on all that God has done in our lives from, from that significant moment until this. And for some of us, there's been a lot of history between those two moments. And for others of us, it was only last year that we made a decision to be baptized and can already see what has God done in our lives over that period of time. And so baptism is a really significant step in a person's journey of faith. What else does the Bible say about baptism? Maybe just two things before we actually go to do this baptism this morning. One, it's a public declaration of my commitment to Christ. That this is a public declaration before friends and before family, as well as before every spiritual force, that I've chosen to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. And there's an incredi- that's an incredibly powerful thing that shouldn't be misunderstood. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32, that Jesus says, whoever confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, Him will I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. There's something incredibly powerful about publicly declaring that there is a personal nature to our faith. That's true. But it is not disconnected from a public declaration of our faith. And so notice that being baptized is a public declaration. A commitment's already been made, but this is now the public declaration that follows. And so you become a Christian the moment you express faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. But baptism is the outward expression, the outward declaration of that inward reality. Here's the second thing, that baptism is a public commitment to the church. And that doesn't mean to MCC as a church, but to the church more globally. That the baptism is a public commitment to the church, that as soon as we um, believe, we should be baptized because believing means belonging and baptism signifies that we belong to the body of Christ that we've already mentioned that when we're baptized, we're identifying with the body of Christ. We're identifying with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. But the Bible also teaches us that the church is the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, it says, Some of us are Jews and some are Gentiles and some are slaves and some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, that we share the same spirit. Um, The book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, teaches us that the church is the body of Christ. And so when we're baptized, we identify with Christ's body, the church, and enter into fellowship with believers everywhere. 
There's a personal nature to our decision and a personal declaration, but, but also we're becoming a part of a larger family. That happened at salvation. And now it's being signified beyond that. And so we all share in the same spirit, is what the Scripture says. That's why in Acts chapter 2, it says that when they were baptized, that they were added to the church. Because there's a public direct uh, declaration of our faith, and also there's a public commitment to our faith. Here's the last part to this, and that's this, that, that each person makes a decision of their own free will and volition. No one else can make the decision for you to say yes to Jesus. That's your own decision. You've got to be able to make it. It's one thing for other people in your family to believe, but but then to personally say, do you know what? It's not just because others believe. I have made a decision for my own life. It's part of the reason why as a church we we don't um, christen children. We dedicate children because Jesus himself was dedicated by his parents in the temple. And so we dedicate children. In fact, someone this morning said, hey, I need to organize a date to be able to get my child dedicated in the new year. And so we do dedicate children, but we don't christen them. We don't sprinkle them with water. We leave baptism, full immersion in water, to to the point at which in their own life, they're able to make their own decision. When I was a kid, before my parents were, um, had become Christians, they they wanted to do something that sort of acknowledged God. And so um, I got christened in the Greek Orthodox Church. It wasn't my decision. If it was my decision, I would not have been wearing the lacy dress that they put me in. <laughs> and so I got christened in the Greek Orthodox Church. In fact, to tell you another funny story, for my bapo, when, when he found out I was becoming a pastor, he said, if you're going to become a pastor, you have to become, you have to become a Greek Orthodox priest. I said, well, I don't know if I'm going to do that, bapo. But, but I got christened as a, as a kid. That wasn't really about me. That was really more about my parents. They wanted to be able to do something that acknowledged God. And so that was their decision. But then as a 14-year-old, I'd already made a decision to follow Jesus in my own life. And I got baptized in water. Because baptism is an outward demonstration of an inward reality of what happened in my life when I said yes. This wasn't their decision, it was mine. And so in the same way that both Zach and Jaden have shared today, this has been their journey of faith. And they've already made a commitment to follow Jesus, but today they're going through the waters of baptism and publicly declaring that decision that they've made. That's the special, that, that is a special step in your journey of faith that the Scripture talks about. And so this morning, it's a real privilege to be able to baptize these two guys. And before we head out to the pool and before we do that this morning, I want to create an opportunity for, for all of us to be able to respond to God. Because there may very well be people who are here today and, and, and maybe this is the first time you've been in church in a really long time. Or, or maybe uh, you've been along to church lots of times, but even as I've been sharing this morning and you think about it, you think, there's never actually been a moment in my life where I actually stopped and made the decision personally, Jesus, I'm going to make you the Lord and Savior of my life. Maybe you know a lot about God. Maybe you'd be a part of the crowd that'd say, yeah, yeah, we believe you can cross the tightrope, but, but you've never jumped in the wheelbarrow, so to speak. You've never personally entrusted your life into God's hands. And so I want to give you a chance to be able to respond, not so much to a message, but to God himself. If you're here this morning and say, Daniel, that's me. I, I've never had a moment like that. I've never actually stopped and asked for God's forgiveness and invited Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Then in just a, moment, a minute, I'm going to get everyone to stand and we're going to pray. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you, if that's you, just to lift up your hand, I'll see it and acknowledge it, and then you can put it down again. But, but you're just saying, Daniel, that's me. Would you include me in this prayer?
I promise I won't embarrass you, but I do want to know who am I praying with this morning who'd say, that's actually me. You're actually talking about me this morning. And maybe even as I've been sharing, you've been thinking, man, why is my heart racing so much? Maybe that's the Holy Spirit beginning to speak to your heart. Maybe it's been a long time. Maybe that's never happened before. But maybe that's God, even this morning, trying to get your attention to say, would you trust me? Would you accept my grace? Would you accept my love, my forgiveness? There may be other people who are here this morning and, and maybe in your own life, you once walked with God, but, but today you'd recognize, I've walked my own way. I've walked away from God. You know, the funny thing is, we don't need anyone to point out to us when we're not right with God. We kind of know it instinctively in our own hearts if we're right with him or not. And so maybe here today and you say, you know what, I'm not right with God, but I want to be. Dan, would you include me in this prayer? I want to make sure that before I leave this church service today, that, I, that I'm certain in my own heart that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life, that I have jumped in the wheelbarrow, that I'm saying, God, I'm trusting you for my salvation and for my future and for my life. And so right now, would you just stand to your feet this morning? Just before we pray, just with every head bowed and every eye closed in this auditorium this morning, if that's you today, and you say, Daniel, that's me, I'm not right with God. Maybe you've believed in God, but you've never personally trusted him. Or maybe you've walked away from God, but today you want to rededicate your life. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed here this morning, if that's you, would you just simply lift your hand? I'll see it and acknowledge it, and then you can put it down. Thank you so much. I see your hand. Bandaged as it is, I see your hand too. So somebody else here this morning saying, Daniel, that's me. I'm not right with God. Cool. Somebody else here this morning said, Daniel, that's me. I'm not right with God, but would you pray with me? Would you include me in this prayer today? I see your hand as well, man. Somebody else here today said, Daniel, that's me. I'm not right with God, but I want to be. I see your hand too. Just up the back. Yep. Is there one more person today who'd say, Daniel, that's me. I'm not right with God, but I want to be. I don't want to labor this point, but I know how important it is. I see your hand too. I know how important it is. In fact, what you'll find is a whole church full of people who know how significant this decision is. Because at some point we made the same one. Just, just one more time, if you, if you lifted your hand, just while every head is bowed and every eyes closed, would you just lift it one more time but look up at me so that I can see it? I'm glad I did that. You guys here? And just here as well. The back and just over here. And just there. Here's what I'd love to be able to do, Right? In a moment, it's going to be impossible to be able to do this, so I'd really love to be able to do this now in the service if we can. In a moment, we're all going to move and head out to the baptism pool, and I'm going to forget where everybody was standing to be able to do this. So what I'm wondering is, is in just a moment, in fact, perhaps even the worship team would come back because we might even sing a song to do this part. But, but if you would come from your seat and meet me down the front, I want to shake your hand. I want to pray a prayer with you this morning to be able to receive Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. And so this morning, if you lifted your hand, right, saying, hey, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus, would you come from your seat and would you meet me down the front? And as everyone does this, church, would you put your hands together and applaud and give these guys a big round of applause and encourage them as they come? You guys come. Come from your seat if you want to. Come from your seat. Give them a big round of applause as they make their way out the front. Here's what the Bible says, right? We said it just before. We said it just before. We said that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believing that God raised him from the dead, that in that moment you shall be saved. 
The Bible actually says it's as simple as that. It's as simple as praying a prayer that places your faith and trust in Jesus. Right? And I don't know whether you've ever prayed before, but to make this very simple, what we're going to do is we're going to pray the first part of this prayer. I'll pray it, and then I'll get you to repeat it after me. It's a really simple prayer. It simply acknowledges, God, I thank you that you love me. God proved us that he loves us when when he sent Jesus to die for our sins while we were still sinners, while we still didn't believe in him. He, he was already showing us his love. So God, I need you in my life. God, I thank you for your love, that you proved it. God, forgive me of all my sins. And then Lord, I invite you as the Lord and Savior of my life. And so we're going to pray that prayer. I'm going to pray the first part of it. I'm going to get you to repeat it after me, right? And, and, and I'm going to get the whole church to do this with us. And this morning, as you do that, as you pray that prayer, Believing in your own heart, but also confessing it with your mouth. We're going to believe that's exactly what's going to happen in your life today as well. So why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. Church, would you help us pray this prayer together? Pray, pray, dear Jesus, I come to you this morning and I realize that I need you. God, I ask you to forgive me of all of my mistakes, of all of my regrets, of all the things I got wrong. Jesus, I thank you that you love me, that you proved it when you died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, I ask you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, fill me with your Holy Spirit and change my life. Today, I put my faith and my trust in you as my Lord and as my Saviour. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, have a blessed day. And until next time, bless you.